When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Well, it's been a really quiet week in terms of football so far. Not much going on at all. And do you know what? You know it's been utter chaos when the sacking of Jose Mourinho is but a footnote to the week's events. But that's where we are, 50 hours or so since the announcement of the European Breakaway Super League. And it looks like the whole thing is pretty much on the brink of collapse as Manchester City and Chelsea, followed promptly by the other four Premier League clubs involved who had signed up for the money-spinning new format, said last night, thanks, but no thanks to the people in charge. We're going to be talking over the ins, the outs, the why this proposal has faced such a dramatic U-turn and what happens next to the European Super League, the Champions League and the Premier League on today's Football Social Daily. The lucky gents who have been boning up on all of that information over the last few hours for today's show are Ian Brennan. Morning, Ian. Morning. Wednesday morning is boning up morning. (laughs) As always. And Manchester City fan Matt Pidd. I'm going to be really interested to see how you feel about your club after the last 48 hours in a bit, Matt. Yeah, I've got a couple of things to say. It's a really interesting one. There's a lot of fans that were turning away from their clubs that now have to potentially backtrack on that after the most recent news and who knows what's going to happen over the next 24 hours as well. We are going to stick to our true Wednesday format as well, answer a load of your questions in the AQA part of the show, that's all questions answered, questions that are coming via social media. Much of that is very Super League flavoured today as well but there is room for some actual football games as well, even though the Premier League seems to have taken a bit of a back seat over the last few days. There have been games that have gone by pretty much unnoticed. There is a Premier League double header tonight. We're going to preview Tottenham's first Mourinho-less game against Southampton and Manchester City's away game with Aston Villa. They both kick off tonight and they could, particularly the Manchester City one, turn out to be very important in terms of the title race and how many trophies, if any, Manchester City have come the end of the season. But let's start with the Super League, however, because since we turned the mics off on the last podcast... 
quite a few things have happened in those 24 hours. There was a meeting of the non-Super League Premier League clubs to decide what action should be taken in the wake of Sunday night's news. And unanimously, I think all the clubs in the Premier League who weren't part of the Super League went on to release statements of varying levels condemning the move. Everton probably came out the strongest against it. Since then, Chelsea, Man City, they both announced they would not be involved in the Super League and have submitted the papers to the powers that be to say they are withdrawing from the process. That was followed by the resignation of Ed Woodward from his post at Manchester United and then United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, they all followed suit with varying levels of remorse and regret about their involvement in the first place. And as we stand, the Super League is currently still a thing, but at the moment it only contains La Liga and Serie A teams so you've kind of got to ask the question how long is it going to remain a thing and how long will it be before the whole thing crumbles before our eyes but as it is on the brink of collapse all the Premier League teams have now pulled out do you think I'm gonna ask you this first Ian because I think Matt's got a bit of a vested interest here but do you think the teams that have pulled out that have seen the errors of their ways do you think they deserve any kind of credit for their actions no um, in a word, because it, they wouldn't have changed. They wouldn't have changed the course of their actions. Was there not huge uproar about it? You know, if if people weren't kicking off, if Gary Neville wasn't uh, on his high horse on Sunday afternoon, kicking this whole debate off because obviously the news came out while uh, they were on air, and and so it was an Im- an immediate reaction. But that really was the start of the snowball, I think, and and really made the headlines and made social media and. And everybody thought for the first time in their life, you know, even if you're not a Man United fan, you know what, Gary Neville, he's got a point and it's never been said before. So it's United in the world in liking Gary Neville for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and But they wouldn't have changed their minds if, if fans weren't kicking off, if ex-pros weren't kicking off, players, you know, like on Monday night... Um, Liverpool and Leeds were playing and, and you, you know, it, the, the game was obviously shrouded by everything that was going on and and and, they, and it was clear that the shocking thing is the fact that even Jurgen Klopp and, and, and people at that level within Liverpool didn't have a clue more than me or you or Matt or anybody else as to what was going on. It was just absolutely crackers. They wouldn't have changed their mind if it hadn't have been pointed out to them by fans by players and and I think also the fact that that what the players stand to lose in terms of international call-ups I think that is what's the some of the big driver for some of the players they wouldn't have changed their minds because for them it's a win-win oh yeah great we don't have to qualify anymore and then somebody's made the point you realize actually that means there's no competition and until someone with any morals turned up no they wouldn't have changed their minds because certainly the people at the top of clubs like um, you know Fenway Sports at Liverpool, the Glazers, no, they, they don't deserve any thanks. They, if, if they had their way, this would be still happening now. So they've, they've only bowed down to pressure. They haven't changed their minds because they've made it clear uh, in some clubs around Europe that they're carrying on as planned and they're going to revisit it. So no, they don't deserve any credit at all. They're doing it to save face. I'm pretty much in agreement, I think, with Ian on this one. I think the the potential saving of face for Chelsea and Manchester City and the fact they pulled out early is also... The, the rumours that they were pretty much bullied into 
this, that they were given notice on Thursday night, apparently, that they had to decide over the weekend whether they were going to be joined, like a final demand for a gas bill or something, that they were they had to decide now whether they were going to join the Super League. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. And interesting to see that Chelsea and City, the two more financially stable out of the six clubs, probably the two that can afford to turn away from the Super League, were the two of the first to do it. But how do you feel? Put your Bertie Blue hat on for us, Matt. Do you think your club deserve any credit at all for backing out of this early doors? Well, I just want to say this first. Um, it's rather ironic that the idea to remove relegation from football lasted from 18th to the 20th. <laughs> but, on, um, on, uh, but on a serious note, though, like the beauty of our game, it's its unpredictability. You know, it's the possibility to dream that anything's possible, you know, that any team can experience the glory of our game. Like, I think... Pep Guardiola hit the nail on the head yesterday when he said, it's not a sport if it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Now a game was created by the working class for the working class over a century ago and they wanted to take that away from us. You know, they were doomed from the start. We were never going to allow that to happen and the six English clubs dropping out didn't save football. We, the fans, saved football from these football terrorists. You know, our voices were heard because they were loud and because we were never going to give it up without a fight and, you know, we won. You know, the pressure we put on them ultimately told and the house of corrupt cards fell because of us. Allegiances and rivalries amongst rival fans were put to one side to come together as one against the real enemy to our game. And that feels very sweet to say. And I just hope that we can use our voices in the future to go on and tackle other issues that are affecting the game we love. You know, use our power for the good of the game. And it's a long way off, but... Last night, it feels like a step in the right direction, you know, and a significant moment in the history of our game. And all I want now is an apology from my club and an explanation as to why they even considered this abhorrent idea in the first place. You know, they've been at the club long enough now to, to know our fan base and how close we are to our club on a, on a community level. They should have never known we were never going to get on board with something that goes against everything that football represents. That's the thing that disappoints me about Manchester City actually being involved in this because I've heard the apologies from the likes of Liverpool's chairman and it it, it doesn't sit right with me. It's pure lip service. I actually always thought Manchester City, and I still do believe this from the Manchester City owners, I thought they understood the importance of community for that football club. And I think Manchester City is one of the clubs where the community is potentially more important than some of the other teams in the Premier League. But the way they've treated Manchester City as a club, the way they've tried to bring through the club's heritage, and I know there's jokes about Manchester City having no heritage, but they do, and they've tried to bring that through to the new Since stadium. 1894. Yeah. Since 1894, Jim. <laughs> the way they've tried to invest in the city, though, I, I always thought that was really important to the, the owners of that football club. Well, so did we, and this is why we was all in absolute you know, disbelief that we was one of the names that was dragged into. And I know we've got a lot of money, Jim, and I know we've been very successful over the, the last, you know, sort of like decade. But, you know, we, if, if we're talking about a European Super League, we've never won a European Cup. You know what I mean? We've only won a Cup Winners' Cup. And it's, this is the thing that was angering most of uh, of the world in this in this respect. You know, the, what are we doing in there? What are Arsenal and Tottenham doing in there? You know what I mean? Just because of how much money we've got. That's what I mean. It's it's not the European Super League. It's the European Rich Man's League. You know what I mean? That's all it is. That's all it boils down to is the money. And the fact that we our club was willing to sell its very soul just to jump into bed with these clubs here, into this cartel, into this closed shop. This is what this is what anger is the most. And this is why there was a planned protest for Saturday outside the Etihad. I'm sure fans would have turned up tonight outside the Etihad, like they did at Stamford Bridge last night. And by the way, round of applause, Chelsea fans, for turning up and making your voices known. 
you know, fair play. I I was watching the uh, the build up to the uh, the Chelsea and Brighton game last night, and I, you know what? It was it warmed my heart to see that so many people actually still cared about their club. And I think, like I said, it was it was a decent turning point last night in in the, the respect that fans still have a voice in this game. Do you think it is fan power, Ian? Clearly, Matt believes that's been the big influencer here. But we've seen a few things coming together. We've seen the potential sanctions from the Premier League in terms of not being able to be involved with the competition. Same for UEFA and FIFA. We've seen government involvement. We saw a Leeds fan just before the Liverpool game playing money, money, money on a saxophone. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's what I was wondering. It. Which of those? Yeah. Which of those elements do you think came into play that caused this action to change? I'm disappointed on watching that because I was told that it was a trombone and I oh, think really? that, that would have made that would have made for an even better piece because I don't <laughs> think a saxophone is the right instrument for that but anyway um I th- I think obviously fan power number 1 they've completely underestimated and I think they've been massively disrespectful and and the real the real snake in the grass in all this and we talk about Liverpool and Man United but let's look at Juventus and we talked about this Agnelli guy Mm. uh, a number of weeks ago when we were talking about the Champions League reforms and we were saying how he was involved in the at the top table with Edwin van der Sar uh, with the the European um, clubs and they were looking at reforming the Champions League and he was leading that and reading between the lines, you know, he was wanting a lot of what this Super League is is proposing in terms of uh, guaranteed entry, guaranteed amount of money and, and the big clubs uh, benefit the most and, and everybody else just sort of makes up the numbers. And that, that was his thing. And we, we were saying on this podcast a, a few months ago about how he was not a football man. He's got no history whatsoever in football. He's a businessman. He's an empire builder. He's come into to Juventus. He's worked his way up to the top table of UEFA, tried to um, tamper with everything and get everything working in his favour and in Juventus's favour because, of course, Juventus not having the best time of it and they are not steamrolling across Europe as maybe once they might have liked to. Um, obviously, that's not worked. He's thrown his teddies out the court. He's got his rich mates together and decided, right, well, we'll make our own league then. That's pretty much what's happened. And as this guy, Agnelli, he's got no history in football. He's not a football fan. He said himself, he's not. he doesn't understand football. He said it. Um, that's why football is now seen as more of a business than an actual yeah. sport itself. You don't have to actually know about the game of football now. All you have to do is have a business sort of mentality about it. It's like the same with Ed Woodward as well. Uh, yeah. he, had no, he had no clue how to run a football club or yeah. how to make transfers. He was a commercial man. And, and that's exactly it. And, and he's seeing this as a business. He's seeing it like he's selling PlayStation games or something like that. And we need uh, we need to get these fans in. I, I don't know what plan, planet... Um, some of these are on where they were saying that they're struggling to make money through the stadiums. Well, they are at the pandemic now. Yeah, everybody is. But when everything's relaxed again and we're seeing stadiums in Australia starting to get up to full capacity again, these stadiums at Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man City, Man United, you know, there there aren't many tickets left every week as far as I know. It's not playing in front of empty stadiums. Well, that, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? It's the clubs have overreached. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the Super League might have potentially one of the, the, the effects of the Super League might have actually been to uh, move player prices and player wages kind of downwards because if you can only play for the Super League, then the Super League could potentially control those wages. So potentially that was part of the selling point as well because these clubs, and we have, we are seeing most of these clubs have massive, massive debts. Yeah, exactly. And it was a way to not only to furnace, fur, furnace those debts. Furnace? Service. Service, that's what I'm looking for. Service. <laughs> furnish like the furnish. That's not the right furnish. Yeah, but anyway, 
pay the debts off, but also to maybe control them to a certain extent. I've got to say, I think, and I mean this to both of you with the utmost respect, I think people who think this is a victory for fan power probably do need to check themselves a little bit. And I say that with an element of regret because I don't think it's as simple as that. And if it was... I think it's a victory for player power. Well, even then, I don't know. Because you look at what Patrick Bamford was saying after the Leeds game and saying how, look, if we can do this with... The Super League, why can't we do it with racism? And why can't we do it with countries like Qatar bribing their way to a World Cup? And I do think that the Super League miscalculated the feeling of fans. But I also think they don't didn't really expect the reaction that they got from FIFA, the reaction they got from the Premier League. And I think what was really important here was the reaction that was from the UK government, the political intervention. And I think that is probably what swung it. And it's probably why we saw the English clubs kind of buckling first again on this. But again, I don't think that's fan power. I don't think Boris Johnson was acting for the common no. man. I don't think he was protecting the game in any way. He was purely protecting himself and he was protecting yeah, his politics. Because when you look at the European Super League, it's, it's ultimately it's a microcosm of modern politics and the financial system. It's billionaires making decisions that affect people far further down the train and then trying to dress it up as a positive decision for the little man. Oh, this is the best thing for you. This will be fine. When in fact, what it's doing is it's lining the pockets of those people at the top. And once that gets realised, once that gets unpicked and the whole thing starts to unravel. And I think that's what was being protected. So, yeah, this is a great day for fans of football. No doubt in that at all. The dragon has been driven away from the door for the time being, at least. But I, I think it's slightly foolish and I think it's probably a bit of a PR spin to believe that it was fans that helped make the U-turn no, I don't, and it was, yeah. it was for the fans because it was, polit- it was politicians and it was club owners that made this U-turn ultimately. And they don't care what, as, as we saw from the proposals, they don't give a damn what legacy fans think. Yeah, and from, um, I was reading in The Athletic, um, there's an, an article there about some of this stuff that's that's gone on and WhatsApp chats and Zoom calls with with various clubs yesterday. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it was Manchester City where they were having a, a WhatsApp chat. And, you know, I think I think the, the threats of not being able to represent your country has, has certainly been a big driver for the players mm. uh, that's caused concern and also being kicked out of the Champions League for those teams that are currently uh, in the final stages of the Champions League. Um, obviously, that's a, a massive thing as well. So I think that they've got, they, they thought they could have their cake and eat it, basically, didn't they? They, they thought that they could uh, go off and do this thing and everybody would go, oh, fair enough, you know, you know good for you. You are the biggest clubs in, in the country and you Tottenham and uh, and 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 then you know go and go and do that and everything will be fine they thought they could get away with it and mm. actually they've you know they've realized that actually well why should you be 300 million quid better off than the rest of us from the point of view of the other premier league teams and they're not having it quite rightly and 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 the the, the thing's not done because now how can any of the other premier league teams trust any of those six that were involved in that who come up with a plan like that over the course of a weekend. You can't. You can't trust them ever again because they've all been doing it in secret, haven't they, for so long? Yeah. So what happens? Where do we go here from a Premier League perspective? Is it all, OK, you've seen the error of your ways, come back, all is forgotten, you're welcome back. And I think there will be an element of some fans showing caution 
towards their clubs in the future. But I do believe it will be short-lived because football fans are amazingly pick, fickle. And yeah. the, the next final they're in, they'll still be buying half and half scarves and buying tickets to stadiums or, or whatever it is at ridiculous prices. So where do we go from here? Do the Premier League just forgive and forget? Should there be points deductions? Should there be financial punishments? It's 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 hard that because you, you're punishing managers and players for something that was completely out of their hands. But how do you punish the owners? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Find them. Oh, it's, that's fine. You know what I mean? You know, you're going to, you're going to find Sheikh Mansour. You know, he'll, he'll go and find 100 million down the back of his sofa and go and give it in cash. You know, are you going to, are you going to find Roman Abramovich? Are you going to find, are you going to find Kroenke? Are you going to find, the, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a very, very grey area at the moment. Like, what, what, what do you do? It's not black or white. You, you can't really say what you do. You, you can punish the clubs, but then you're punishing, like, like we were talking about before, these these managers and these players had no idea it was going on. They mm. only found out literally hours, you know, before we did. So they was as much in the dark as us. I thought it's it's going to be an interesting um, couple of weeks or so now because, you know, the league's you know it's got um, a few weeks left. We've still got trophies to play for, and it's it, it's weird because it all happened within the space of two days and it's all come crumbling down. And now the fallout is is going to be um is going to be interesting. I think we potentially might see reaction from UEFA more so than the Premier League because I don't want to see teams getting deducted 10 points, even though it would mean, say, for example, if all the teams in the top six were deducted 10 points, it would mean West Ham are suddenly one point off a Premier League title. But <laughs> but I wouldn't want to win a Premier League that way. I wouldn't want to see West Ham succeed in that way. And it feels like it, that is against the sport as much as the Super League. I think potentially what we might see, Ian, is a 12-month ban from all these clubs from UEFA competitions. We might see them barred from the Champions League next year. Incidentally, it's just been announced that um, Agnelli, has, the Juventus chairman, who was kind of fundamental to all these plans, has just said the Super League cannot proceed. So it is now, that's breaking news. It's literally just happened. It's off the table. Um, but do you think we'll see any action, Ian? How do you think the Premier League and UEFA will treat these big six? They, they, there needs to be some punishment. I say, I think punishing them this season is probably a little bit short now. It's a little bit harsh, but... It, there has to be repercussions somewhere. There has to be to stop them doing it again. And and we talk about, you know, the, there was a lot of talk about, um, obviously, when, when our country left the European Union. And it's similar to that, isn't it? But there had to be a deterrent. And that's why it was such hard work and such a drawn out thing was to deter other countries from doing the same. And it needs to be a similar sort of thing in the terms of football, because that's that's basically what it was, wasn't it? It was a sort of a Brexit kind of thing in, in reverse. It was the opposite. Um, and you want to stop other clubs thinking, well, I'll tell you what, well, well, you know, what's to stop some other clubs getting together and putting their own league uh, together further down the line or or this happening again under a different guise five years down the line, ten years or, or whenever or whatever whenever the economic climate, which I think has certainly been an opportunity for them, uh, as, um, presents itself. So there needs to be a deterrent um, and yeah, you know, no Champions League football for you for, for, a, for a, a couple of seasons. See how you like that. That's the only way because as Matt said, they're rich enough. You can't find them. It's just, it's just it's just sheets of paper to them. It's, it's it's no different. So the only way you hit them is is by, unfortunately, the fans are going to have to lose out in some form or other and pay the price. Because how how otherwise do you um, do you hit them where it hurts? And you can only hit them with with points uh, or with uh, with being barred from entering some competitions. And yeah, that affects the players as well. But you know that's look at look at your owners and and go go uh, play at a, a club that uh, hasn't got owners that act like that if that's what you want we could go on all day about the 
Super League collapsed now, officially collapsed, uh, but we're going to draw a line under section one of today's podcast. There is more Super League chat coming up because we're going to tackle your questions next that came in via social media over the last week or so. And quite rightly, a lot of them are Super League flavoured. So we'll get on to that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Today's podcast definitely with a Super League flavour. It is now official. The Super League is off. Agnelli has said, the Juventus chairman has said it cannot proceed. The six Premier League clubs pulled out last night. And it's no surprise that a load of your questions that have come in have been focused on the Super League. And given the fast-paced news that has been happening over the last 24 hours, it's no surprise that some of them are a little bit out of date, but we'll try and twist them and give you answers as best we can on the questions that have come in. If you've ever got questions by the way for football social daily you can find us on twitter at the sports social you can find us on instagram sports social official as well we're on facebook too just search sport social there so let's start with the first question from kenny taig who says is this super league thing being overblown by non-uefa entities or is this showing that maybe uefa have too much power in the game to influence so many and does it need a shake-up the new champions league format is going to do the same thing it's going to to keep the same teams at the top that ones that started these elite club spots. So I think Kenny's saying basically was UEFA's anger what stirred up this emotion amongst people and actually when you look at it the Super League is as bad as what UEFA are offering as an alternative Matt. Um it's it's a difficult one because they're, obviously they're not they're not the exact same but the the, the new UEFA um the, the new format for the Champions League it doesn't make good reading when you actually when you actually look at it because like you said it's it's basically it's putting these these teams that have got a, a history in the competition you know it, being able to qualify just because of who they are and the coefficients are, um which isn't fair I, I don't understand why they've done it and with everything that's been going on. They've, they've, you know, do, they've done it to try and put off the yeah, Super the, League this, happening. It's just... Yeah, that's it. And obviously with the Super League news, maybe it got like sort of like overlooked and sort of brushed under the carpet. But no, I, I've I've been re- I've been reading up on it as well. And it's like the, the group stages are getting, getting sacked off, aren't they? And it's just going to be playing um, playing 10 matches home and away. And um, it's basically, it's... it's it's against the, the current format of the Champions League, which is you get in on, in on merit, and there's four extra teams that basically just because of who they are in the uh, in the coefficients, you can get into it. It's not as bad as what the Super League was suggesting because basically that was just like breaking off on its own thing and being their own separate entity. But it, it, it's difficult because it's it's in a couple of years now, and obviously we've got a couple of um, seasons to go until that happens. So maybe they'll twist and turn um, in that time. But right now, the way I'm looking at it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make good reading, and hopefully they do. They do maybe sort of look at the way things have happened with the Super League now and go, well, fans aren't going to be happy. Clubs aren't going to be happy if it's going to be in its current state now. Hopefully they can. Um, they can sort of maybe rewrite a couple of real changes here and there, and uh, make it a little bit more fair and a little bit less sort of on the basis of. Um, just because of who you are, who you are as a club, you can you can qualify just because of you've got history in the actual trophy itself. I do wonder whether the whole Super League proposal, and it feels like a massive bluff, but whether it helps make the Champions League proposals 
and whatever happens there slightly more palatable in terms of those elite clubs, those heritage clubs that will have automatic qualification. Do you think UEFA have too much power here, Ian? Because ultimately, if you're going to have a governing body, be it the FA, be it UEFA, being FIFA, I mean, there's that, that old phrase, isn't it? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. You're, you're going to have someone who is going to be top of the tree and they are going to be able to throw whatever power they have about and be basically the no no have no one to answer to so they can make decisions that may seem outrageous to the, the common or garden fan yeah but uefa are european football's governing body so they they do need sure you'd expect them to have a a degree of power um it's how that power is distributed and who is who is at the top looking after it and 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 the um uh, you know the holder of that power, how it's being used, I suppose, um, and who they're looking after. And as you say, these big clubs are going to get a version of what they wanted um, already. I'm just reading, actually. It's very interesting that um, Cheferin, who's who's the guy who's in charge of UEFA, and Agnelli, who was, was the chief driving force, we're hearing that now he's he said that this this idea is officially dead for now. Mm. Um, he's he's the godfather of um, Agnelli asked yeah. Cheferin to be the godfather to his daughter. And they're really, really good mates. And considering and some of the things that have been said publicly between them, they've been calling well, each other liars it. and snakes. It's quite shocking, yeah. isn't it? Well, they were all getting on well until the back end of last week. And then um, Cheferin turned his phone off um, and, uh, and and went and about and uh, basically just in, in public assassin- assassinated uh, Agnelli's character on worldwide TV. So it's all got a bit awkward between those two. Mm. Um, and, and as we say, Agnelli was, was trying to get his reforms through um, before with the ECA. Uh, he quit that and then he's, he's gone off and, and launched these plans. And it's all, it's all it, it is all cloak and dagger what's, what's gone on at the very top. But you know, to your question, are, are UEFA um, out of control? Do they have too much power? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think they 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 are trying their best and to to do the right thing. I don't think they do the right thing all the time. But who else? Who else would you give the power to? Ultimately, the next question comes from Angie, which might be a question that's easier to answer given the events of the last ten minutes. Who says, "Is this the death of the Super League, or will they just fine tune the idea?" and come back with something else. Do you think we're going to see this rearing its ugly head again in the near future, Ian? Not in the near future now, not the way it's just absolutely been demolished. Um, you know, It's been done in such an amateur way, though. This is the thing. that it, You'd think... I, I, I would have thought this has been bubbling away for months, and they've come out at the last minute with, you know, with, with little notice and said, right, here it is happening. But I don't think that is the case. From reading between the lines, this is like something that's been thrown together over the course of a week. And, um, and, and here they are, and, and it's just fallen apart as quickly as it came together. Mark Austin, who's the, the reporter on, um, on ITV, tweeted this morning, I've covered many failed coups in many parts of the world, but none quite so amateurish, <laughs> ill-judged and humiliating and short-lived as this pathetic little fiasco. So, <laughs> there you go. But I, I, I think the owners of some of the clubs, you know, Liverpool, Man United and, um, and certainly uh, Juventus, don't think Agnelli's gone away. Mm. I, th- I think he's, uh, he's going to be back with another attempt, but I, th- I think it's... I think it seems further away than it's ever been this European Super League because they've tried to do it before, haven't they? And it's it's fallen on its backside. And I think um, it'd be a very 
with, with the Champions League reforms coming in as they as they are going to, I think it's just going to sit on the back burner and will be forgotten about. But it shouldn't be forgotten about, though. That's the thing. That's what they want. How would it feel to you, Matt, if Manchester City signed up to another attempt for a Super League? Because at the moment, I think football fans are probably... Football fans love their football clubs and it's an unconditional love. It's something that you can't control. It's very deep inside you and it is a true love with football. I think a lot of fans will forgive this indiscretion. I think they'll go back to their clubs. They'll say, all right, don't do it again, but we're okay at the moment. But if they, if it were to happen again, if the likes of the the Cronkiers or the Glazers attempted to put a Super League together again and Manchester City, I, I guess it's kind of like a that's going to just diminish further, and you will see fans turning away at that point. I went to my first ever match with my dad in May, at Main Road in nineteen ninety nine. We played Crew Alexandra, and never did I think that years later I'd be actually considering never going to even watch in the stadium or watch on the TV my, my football team ever again if they would have gone through with the, the European Super League and, and bought into it and, and started it being one of the founding clubs I don't think I could have ever have forgiven that and that's a massive thing to say because like you said it's in your blood it's 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 in your genes you can't just switch off that love mm. but I could not justify my club doing that selling its soul to to go on and um, just make a load of money and forget about where the clubs actually came from, from St. Mark's West Garden in 1894. And now it, it's, it's something that's going to take a long time for, for fans to sort of like let go of. I mean, I said that at the start of the show that I'm just waiting on an apology because I know the Arsenal board have apologised and Daniel Levy's apologised and um, John Henry from Liverpool's apologised, but I don't think he'll get forgiven. I don't think he'll be let back into Anfield, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, I think it will all start with just an explanation from the club and just a simple apology. Like we've misjudged the situation. We didn't, which they should have understood really, but they didn't understand the actual the magnitude of what was going to happen in terms of the repercussions from the fans. It's it's going it's going to take a while, but they can start building bridges along the way. And um, we can't forget what they've actually done for us as a, as a club. You can never forget that because if let's be real, if it weren't for them now, we we could be in in the championship because before. They took over us. We we was uh, on the verge of um, financial collapse with um, Sinoatra mm-hmm. getting his assets frozen. If they if the Abu Dhabi group didn't bail us out, we could we could be you know it could have happened. What happened to Leeds? It could have what happened to Sunderland? Anything like that. So I think we need to remember what they've done for us as a club. But we can't let them forget that they they've basically um, betrayed our trust as fans and they've, they've took us for mugs in a way. So we we do we can't we can't forget that you can forgive but ultimately you can't forget and it's going to take a long time for us to do that. I guess that brings me quite nicely onto the final question from our AQA section, which is from Tessa Bob on Instagram, who says, "How do I pick a new team to support? Because mine has joined the Super League. Obviously, that's not <laughs> happened now. So Tessa Bob can hopefully continue supporting whatever team it is that Tessa Bob." supports but for me I I was considering this even though West Ham weren't involved in the Super League I was trying to work out how I'd feel if I was in that situation and who I would then go and pick as my new team because I don't think I'd want to support a team that was in the Super League and the way that when I grew up the way you picked your football team and there was a couple of ways one was you took a ruler you found the closest ground to your house and that was your team that was the team that you supported or it was the team your dad supported or the team that you had a kind of connection to historically which is why I ended up as a West Ham fan 
Now, on Monday night, I was kind of going, what would I do? So if West Ham weren't in the Premier League anymore, who would I want to support? Now, the closest ground to my house now is Manchester United. That ain't happening. So I'm not, I'm not going to become a Manchester United fan. So I'm left with two options, I think. Reading, who were the very first team I used to go and watch. I grew up quite close to Reading. And I didn't really fancy supporting <laughs> Reading, to be honest with you. <laughs> or, not, not at the minute, certainly. No. Or I could sack off league football completely and go and become a non-league fan. There's a local team that I go and watch every now and again because I can't get down to London to watch West Ham that often, certainly at the moment. So I go and see West Isbury and Chalton FC or kind of my local team who have a really good bar and really good food and it costs like five quid to get in, which is which is Can't ideal compared to the 200 quid it. or whatever I spend to go down to London. So I'm like, neither option really scratched my footballing itch, but that was kind of how it looked for me. So if you were in that situation, Ian, if Leeds were considered one of the big six, how would you pick your new team? Uh, well, I've been um, lucky, I suppose, to, to to work in different parts of the country. And, I, and whilst I am a Leeds fan, I'm also a semi-Sunderland fan because that is actually the nearest club to uh, to where I live. Mm. So, you know, I, I kind of got involved in that. So I kind of do have two got teams back up. <laughs> already. Yeah, I think maybe um, for, for me, another team that I have um, a sort of an affinity with and and it's purely through looking through my family tree and half of my family come from the Aston area of Birmingham when you go back on the who do you think you are kind of business because my brother he's um he's uh, a top historian is my brother and he um has actually worked on some of the who do you think you are programs okay. and um so we've done we've had a quite thorough investigation into our family tree and um uh, yeah certainly my dad's side uh, originate from around the the Aston uh, and the Birmingham area in 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 particular and um and yeah, so I, I would probably be a Villa supporter. I don't think I'd bring myself to be a Birmingham City supporter. No, nobody's strong enough for that. <laughs> it, feel, um, it feels horrible, but, doesn't it? Kind of deciding who your other team would be. What about you, Matt? Who would you yeah. go for? How would you make that decision? Or would you, would it be a turn away from football job? Uh, I could never turn me back on football because I love the game too much. But my local team around here, I live two minutes away from Curzon Ashton Stadium. And I've actually been to watch Curzon Ashton on a few occasions. I went to watch them in the, in the FA Cup a few years ago. They got into the second round of the FA Cup. And they, they also, yeah, they got knocked out by Wimbledon as well quite recently. I think it, it was like 3-0 up with mm. five minutes to go. And I think Wimbledon, Wimbledon scored like four in the last five minutes. There's a, there's a team, Curzon Ashton are a team that really work with the community as well. They do, I mean, we yeah, talk, they're, they're very good. Yeah, it's kind of, we talk about how like the fans and the community aren't important to football. We're purely talking about Premier League level. When you get down to the level of the likes of Kirsch National, they do work with the community and they do support the community. Yeah, that's not, and that's what um, that's what I go for anyway. If if that was a, I could never go and um, put my allegiances with another. Like Premier League club or mm. any any sort of club that's that's challenging on that sort of stage, I just have to start my way from the bottom and work my way back up again. But I'd always I'd always have that love for Manchester City. It wouldn't be the same me going to Curzon National. I wouldn't feel that same sort of emotion. I wouldn't feel that same sort of connection. But I could never turn me back on the game of football altogether, especially at the um, at the at the, the level that Curzon National at, because that's what people call proper football. In it, mm. you know what I mean? Like you know, the, the, the way the game should be rather than the way it is now. But yeah, that's that's what I'd definitely do if um, if my club was one of the uh, the clubs that went into the Super League. I definitely encourage anybody who hasn't been to you know a, a proper grassroots non-league game or something like that to to do it and go along and support your local club. Oh, that's great um, because. 
especially now as well, <clears throat> when people are allowed back in and, and obviously they've suffered like anybody else and give your money to them for for a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, even just for a week rather than, you know, your big club that you might go to. I know you might be desperate to go there, but you'll probably be able to go into a non-league match before you can go into your favourite stadium anyway. And they are a great experience. I used to live near, in Leeds, I used to live near... Um, the Farsley Celtic ground, and they were a, a pretty good non-league team. And um, things like Tuesday night, and we'd go. And uh, I remember taking a friend of mine, and uh, we were stood right behind the goal. And it was a really windy night, and the the goalkeeper was kicking the ball, and the ball was like blowing across like banana. And every time he kicked the ball, it went out of play. And he kicked the ball, he went, oh booger! And it was just like you don't get this <laughs> in no. the Premier League. You don't know. You know Pint to half time, pie, all mm. the rest of it, get in there. It is great. Uh, very much recommended. Right, we're going to talk about tonight's Premier League games. It's Matt's current team, Manchester City versus Ian's new team, Aston Villa. That's one of the matches. <laughs> uh, Tottenham versus Southampton is the other game. We'll cover it on next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to Football Social Daily it's crazy that the Premier League games that are happening tonight are a footnote on today's podcast likewise the resignation of Ed Woodward we've not even touched on that I promise you that will be on tomorrow morning's podcast we'll let the news sink in a little bit the reason it's kind of been bumped off today's podcast is it wasn't quite the exciting news it was presented as it was due to happen it was scheduled to take place Ed Woodward was due to leave at the end of 2021 that is still the case so it's not a direct impact from the Super League but obviously there has been some impact impact and some effect there so we will talk about that on tomorrow's podcast but let's do a quick preview of tonight's game let's start with Tottenham versus Southampton I mean the Super League has been a distraction for all of the big six but probably Spurs have been through more turmoil than most over the last 48 hours because they've seen the sacking of Jose Mourinho as well which apparently wasn't anything to do with the Super League it wasn't Jose taking a moral stand or anything like that but are you expecting a reaction from the Spurs players here Matt, when it comes to the removal of Jose, do you think we'll see a different playing style, maybe a more offensive style? Well, Ryan Mason was um, saying in his press conference yesterday, and he spoke very well, actually, you know, for, for a lad who's my age, he's 29, I couldn't believe it, he spoke, he spoke with yeah. such like, eloquency and stuff, considering he's under a lot of pressure at that time. He was basically saying he's he's been at Tottenham since he was a young lad, and he's always expected Spurs to play with an aggressive play style, play the Spurs way. Now, if if he can if he can get that out of his players tonight against Southampton, it's, it'll be it'll be a very interesting game. Obviously, you know, Harry Kane not in the team, um, but one player that could be coming back into it who got frozen out by Mourinho was Deli Ali. You know, he's um, he's he, he's absolutely quality, Deli Ali. I just think it's it's just a case with him who he gets on with, like as a head coach. Like I've seen the the Spurs documentary, he was a bit of a McLaren in training sometimes, but. You know, some of these players, it's like a Sergio Aguero was another one that was a terrible trainer, but he come and do it on the, um, on the pitch of a weekend. If Ryan Mason can get that out of Dele Alli, you know, it could be like a new signing for Spurs. You know, think about mm. the, the hype that was presented before us with him when it was the 15-16 uh, season, when he was like the England's like newest like midfielder, our saviour. He could, he could be the, the one that um, turns things around for us. I think that's still there. I just think it takes a certain manager and a certain playing style to get that out of him. And Mourinho's 
anti-football style of play definitely didn't suit a player like Deli Ali, who likes to express himself on the ball, who likes to go at players and stuff like that. It was never about that with Mourinho. It was always about being pragmatic and being hard to beat. With Ryan Mason at the helm now, hopefully, if 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 he goes and does a good job tonight against Southampton and gets them playing some decent football again, Daniel Levy could very well give him a chance because why would he want to go and throw another few mm. million quid at another another big name manager? Why why not give someone like um like, like Ryan Mason a chance? You know he knows the club inside and out. He he, he bleeds Tottenham. Why not give him a chance if they go and do a good a good uh, a good job tonight against Southampton? I think um I think it could be the start of something special for him. I think probably in reality, Levy has his next manager lined up and there's rumours it's Nagelsmann, but um, I don't think he's the kind of man who takes a risk sacking one manager without someone lined up. But I think Ryan Mason is in a great position to make a name for himself at Spurs. Yes. Really interestingly, Harry Kane's out for tonight. He's done his ankle again. They think it's going to be a short-term injury rather than one that will see him out of the Euros. But that means Hugo Lloris is going to be captaining Spurs tonight. Hugo Lloris is five years older than Ryan Mason. When has there ever been a captain on a pitch older than the manager who is managing that pit that that team? I, I'd wager that has never happened in Premier League football. Uh, but Ian, Spurs have lost 17 of their last 58 games under Jose Mourinho, which isn't good enough for a team that are supposed to be challenging for Champions League football. And all that comes whilst playing really poor football as well. Do you think it was inevitable that Mourinho was going to get the sack? And it was either going to be at the end of the season or it was going to be now. And it just so happens that that has been brought forward. Yeah, I think the lack of success in you know cup tournaments and things like that, although they have got a chance to win a cup, I think from, from reading between the lines, they don't, they didn't want... Mourinho to potentially have some success this weekend in the um, in the League Cup uh, to then make it difficult for them to fire him in a couple of weeks. I think that's the issue. So they, they got rid of him now, so that there's no debate on that. Obviously, he wasn't liked. It clearly looks like they've already got. I don't think you make a move like this if you haven't got a plan, because there's no reason to get rid of him. They're not doing that bad, you know. Um, but um, they've just been pretty boring, haven't they? And and I think. Th- it was interesting because when they when Mourinho first came in, and I've got a few friends who are Spurs fans, and they were loving it. They were, you know, we're playing fantastic football. This is brilliant. Breath of fresh air from what we've been used to. And, uh, you know, everything seemed brilliant. But then over the last, mm. what, six months or so, that's gone downhill. And these same fans are just you know, head in their hands saying um, one of them was saying that he was the worst manager Tottenham have ever had and they were pleased that he's finally gone and I think well you know there you go that's how attitudes change over the course of uh, uh, a year one day Ramos was a bit worse than Mourinho oh yeah I, I mean they've had, they've had a few worse they've had a few worse I think in reality but I think from the quality of the football it's just it wasn't you know, wasn't what they wanted, and uh, you know, with that stadium now, and, and similar to West Ham, and West Ham are delivering on it. That when you've got a big, uh, a big boy stadium, you need to be playing big boy football, and uh, they really weren't. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you expect a reaction from Southampton tonight, Matt? We were expecting a reaction from Spurs potentially with the departure of Jose Mourinho. Southampton went out of the FA Cup at the semi-final stage at the weekend to Leicester, which would have disappointed their fans. Although potentially I'd argue their fans should be grateful of getting to a semi-final. It's been a long time since my team have done that. Do you think they'll react to that or do you think for Southampton it's kind of a case of, well, feet up, season's over, we're not going to get relegated, we're not going to win anything obviously, so let's, let's relax, let's focus on next season. I mean, bear in mind, Southampton have now lost 11 out of the last 14, so probably some question marks over Hassan Hootel if he doesn't manage to pick up form towards the end of the season. Doesn't make great reading for Hasenhutl 
But he's also been praised in the way that he's um, he's dragged Southampton out of certain situations, especially when they was getting beat like 9-0, like, like, like Leicester, you know what I mean? He, he, he sort of turned their farm around after that and he was he was hailed for that. But the way the table is now and the fact that they've got basically nothing to play for anymore, they're sitting in mid-table obscurity. They've they've just basically got to go and play the teams in front of them now and just finish as high as possible. That's That should be... That should be the motivation now for Southampton because the higher you finish in the Premier League, the more money you get. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's just basically what what the motivation should be for them now. End the season on a high. If they do that, Hassan Hootel might be let off the hook. But if they if they carry on the way they've been going, like you've said, they've lost that many games now. Um, is it eleven out of the last fourteen? Did you say? Yeah, eleven out of the last fourteen. Which is terrible. If, if, that's relegation yeah, that is, form. That is, that is absolutely relegation form. So what they've basically done there is relied on how well they've done earlier on in the season, and that's pretty much saved them. But if if they carry on in that form, you know, Southampton's owners there must be looking at it, going, you know, we 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 we, we might need to um, to rethink our tactics for next season because we can't go through another season like that. Yes, he got you got us to a semi final, and yes. They've, uh, we've not really been involved in a relegation battle, but is that really what Southampton want as a club? Did they want that sort of like, oh, we're going to re- settle for mid-table mediocrity, or do you want to do you want to try and push forward and actually try and get like a Europa League place or something like? that? Because I still think they've got some quality players there. I, lo- I love Jay War Prowse. I think Danny Ings is a great striker as well. Maybe they could build a team around them in the uh, in the summer. But it, like I said, it, it all depends on where they finish in the league. Finish as high as possible. You've got more money to spend, and therefore more funds to uh, to strengthen your squad. It's difficult to see him getting in that Europa League position, though. Even with a decent spend, it's difficult to see him climbing that high. The other game tonight is Aston Villa versus Manchester City, and City have been impressive, or haven't been as impressive, I should say, in recent weeks. Out of the FA Cup now, so the quad's off the table, although... If you listen to City fans, they say it was never on the table. They never believed that was going to happen. Yeah, right. You you were all excited for the quad. Um, do you think there's a bit of a need to refocus and just go for that final push now, Matt, from a Manchester City point of view? Do they need to stay on track? Well, we've gone from being at the highs of beating Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League to the lows of going out to Chelsea in the semi-final stage of the FA Cup with a whimper. It was a terrible game of football mm. to watch that. It was absolutely awful. Chelsea was the better side, absolutely, hands down. They deserved to win. They created more chances. They played the, they, they had more possession than us, which I didn't think was was uh, was going to happen, especially with us playing at Wembley. We, we, we like to play football at Wembley. We like to keep more of the ball anyway in general. But tonight, it's you know United are only eight points behind us now in the Premier League. It's we need to get that league wrapped up as soon as possible because you know if we start dropping more points, you know it's a funny it's a funny old thing. Um, psychological edge in football players could start having doubts creeping into the back of their minds. If we get this league title wrapped up as soon as possible, we can we can concentrate on on the Champions League. Then we need to just keep. Going, we, we've got no De Bruyne tonight, obviously, but he he, he could be back in contention for the uh, for the cup final against Spurs at weekend. Villa haven't been in great form neither, and they've get they've got no Grealish. issues their talisman? You know, he's the the glue that makes them stick together, basically in in their midfield. If you know they, they've got not no him tonight, we've got no De Bruyne. They're still a dangerous side, Villa. They've still got some 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 quality players and. The way we've um, sort of defended in the last couple of games, we've not kept a clean sheet for a couple of games now, which will be in the back of Pep's mind, especially with you know how well we've defended this season. He'll he'll want to address that. I don't know who's who's going to play tonight with the the cup final start um, on on the weekend, mm. but I think the Premier League right now, I I I play, play my strongest team possible tonight. Just forget about that that, um, 
that League Cup at the moment. Forget about that. We want to get the Premier League wrapped up and we need to play our strongest team tonight and we need to get back to winning form. I mean, when you think about it, I think we've won um, I think 29 out of the last 32. That's not too bad, is it? Something, but it's it's the way, I think it's the way we lost to Chelsea over the weekend, which is um, which has got a little bit of um, doubts creeping into some City fans' minds. There was a fair argument from City fans that that loss was largely down to Pep Guardiola's unusual squad selection. And this is a a thing that's regularly levelled at Pep Guardiola, that he overthinks it, that maybe he makes surprising changes when the fixtures get tight. Is tonight's game, Ian, potentially more dependent on the team that Guardiola puts out? If If he just... If he plays an unusual front three, if he disperses with the spine of his team rather than whether Aston Villa can kind of reach the levels they were reaching before the turn of the year, because since the turn of the year and Jack Grealish's absence, they've been pretty substandard. So is this more to do with what City do on the pitch rather than what Aston Villa do? And it's how they, uh, how <clears throat> Aston Villa managed the game against City. I think Manchester City don't have a, a bad lineup. In the in the scheme of things, they've still got you know, plenty. Even if they don't pay uh, the full um, first choice eleven, uh, I think it's it's how they manage the game, Aston Villa, and, and how many chances they they give Manchester City and how how much room they give them to play. And that was what when Leeds played against Man City, and while Man City didn't have um, their uh, full first choice players uh, out on the field. Uh, they did have an extra player for much of the uh, match because um, Leeds were down at 10 men. And I was reading an article, actually, that um, Bielsa targeted John Stones in the Man City lineup and um, actually encouraged the Leeds players to let John Stones have more of the ball and let him play with it because th- th- I think they discovered that he his, his decision-making was, was going to give them chances. Um, so that he, yeah, they, they, when John Stones on the ball, they let him basically be a rabbit in the headlights a bit and, 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 and wait for him to make a mistake. And that's how they manage that game. Um, and that and uh, a lot of luck as well, of course. But, um, but yeah, the, the, when, when these changes happen, and, and Matt will say, and we said before that a lot of the fans you know, get, in, uh, get in Guardiola's face for, for making changes, but you know they've still got a very, very good team, whichever side they put out, Man City. So they should have enough. To see, uh, as they say, Man, you know, Aston Villa haven't been the strongest team lately. They've not been, uh, you know, their their best lately. And um, Man City should have enough, but I think it's 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 being clever with Man City. Man City are a very clever team. They have been for years. Um, you know, you've got to have your wits about you with with them. That's the thing. It's not just having good players. It's it's strategy with Man City. Very quickly, Matt, if there is an upset tonight, and I think even the most passionate Aston Villa fan would say that them turning over Manchester City tonight would be classed as an upset, if there is an upset, does that Premier League title start to look a little bit wobbly? Even though you've got that lead over Manchester United, just the the manner of recent defeats, the kind of slipping up to leads, do you think that starts to suggest that maybe it's not as done and dusted as we thought it was a couple of weeks ago? Absolutely. Well, winning games is a, is a great habit to have. And if you start dropping points, like I said, it can creep into the back of players' minds as good as they are. They, like Players like John Stones and stuff like that, he's been fantastic this season, don't get me wrong, but he's one of these players that has that in his locker to make that mistake and, and sort of like let it get to him. Like You see him, if he, um, if he, if he makes a, a dodgy pass sort of thing, his next first touch might like bounce off him and go out for a throw in, and then it can start getting on top. And then that's when, like, um, like Ian was saying, like targeting them, them kind of players that sort of do 
kind of have that sort of weak mentality when it's not going their way. If we if if we drop points to Villa tonight, it gives all the incentive to Manchester United. Then just they've got to just keep winning games and just hope we slip up. It's in our hands still. It's thank God it's still in our hands. It, it, we're eight points clear. It happened in the, um, the the season where we first won the league with the Aguero goal. We was we was eight points behind United with with six games to go. I think it, I think that's the case now. Um, I can't I, personally. I can't see it happening, but it's happened before, so it can happen again. I just hope tonight that we just we just be professional tonight. Just play our strongest team and just go out there, be professional and get the game won and then it's just one less thing for us to have to think about because we've still got the semi-finals of the Champions League as well. Obviously, that's what the owners want. That's what Pep Guardiola is going to be ultimately judged on at the end of the season, the Champions League. So, we get the Premier League wrapped up as soon as possible. We get it We get it done and dusted and then we can just throw our, all our legs in that basket. So, tonight, I just that's all I want. Just a professional performance from the players. Just go out there, do our jobs and um, just keep going. There'll be reaction to that game, Aston Villa versus Manchester City and to the Spurs game against Southampton on tomorrow's podcast. Make sure you've clicked follow wherever you're listening to your podcast so you get that as soon as it's ready. It'll be around out around lunchtime tomorrow. And if you want the latest team news and match reports and the latest European Super League news as well, there is a fantastic blog on that on the Sports Social website, sport-social.co.uk. But that is it for today's podcast. Ian, Matt, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.